Batten down, you bloody earth, wind, fire and water internet. Don't forget love. The most important element of all, because it's time for the Real Boys Podcast. I'm Merkel. And I'm Crumble Nelson Donk. And welcome to our weekly rendition of Real Boys, Real Bad Films, question mark? The show where we look at some of the shittiest and most shunted media from all the franchises you know and love, Moogle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I think like we finally hit our niche again. Oh, uh, we've fallen yes. out of it a bit, but we've got a movie that's like from the '90s, straight back where we started. Boom! We've also got like a space opera, romance, no. buddy cop kind of heist movie. Oh, as well. too many genres. There's no way it's gonna work out. So I think we've got a real bad film on our hands. Oh, we sure Question do. Mark? Question mark? Question mark? Because this week we're looking at the 1997 space epic, The Fifth Element. <laughs> you made that sound real epic. Probably yeah. more epic than it needs. Ah, well, uh, to uh, to your point, uh, for, for all it's built up of and all it's made up of, Mookle, uh, demonstrably terrible film. But uh, let's let's be real, it's it's not. It's it's great. Yeah, it's, it's got a lot of flaws. Great film. As they all do, but yeah, really enjoyed it. Yeah, um, it's a creative was, ride. Yeah, this is kind of leading up to being maybe a wild wild west for us because we both loved it mm, as kids. Um, big fans. Happy to see. I I think it's fair. It, it held up. Yeah, yeah, it sure bloody did, Mookle, and it held Mookle. up on the bloody critical consensus as well Mookle with yeah. a bloody 70% from the old uh, critical consensus Oh, right off the dome that's not too bad that's right and the audience buddy even more thrilled for this one at 86% yeah hey look I mean we could add ourselves to that for sure yeah this one coming in budget of 90 million returning on the not international bad. box office bloody 300 million in 1997 which is you know probably like uh, 450 million these days yeah look probably inflation yeah, probably our first profitable film in a while as well, actually. Yeah, yeah it is. Outside of some newer franchises. Absolutely. And well, and this one didn't become a franchise no. either. Mookle, which, look, I think there was definitely a franchise in this. In its original conception, uh, it was a bloody trilogy, I believe, Mookle. Like a 400-page script and a trilogy, yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I can see that. Like, there's a lot of world building in this that I can see leading to that. And I'm I'm kind of glad they just did a one and done. Yeah. I, I think it would have to be diminishing returns. Oh, absolutely. Like it kind of could only, like, dazzle you once. And yeah. a lot of those movies dazzle. There is yeah. some substance we'll talk about later. There's that a little razzle, apart. but, you know, it's mostly dazzle. That's it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah absolutely. Yeah. What a great ride. Very yeah. aesthetically pleasing. Well, speaking of bloody razzle, dazzle, and aesthetically okay, pleasing. I can see how it feels. Yeah, how does it feel? Bloody a little bit of segue for feels you Feels great. There. Feels like a tight podcast. Yeah, doesn't it just? Uh, we got bloody Bruce Willis in our title role with a character name that's bloody got a great mouth feel, in yeah, my opinion. Like it. yeah. It's bloody... Corbin Dallas. Corbin Dallas, yes. Add a couple of times, Corbin Dallas. Really use uses the full full extent of your mouth. That tongue goes all the way to the back, then right to the front. Now that I mention it, they say his full name a surprising amount in this movie. They yeah. must have felt the same things. Like, oh, this is yeah. a great mouth. It's a, what a name. What, a, what, a, what an action hero name. Not your typical action hero, though. An ex-body no. military officer turned body cab, cab driver. driver. But yeah. not just any cab, Nelson. A fly. Ooh, that's right, because we're sitting here in the bloody future in, what, 2223? Uh, yeah, something like that, 2200-ish, yeah. Which is great, actually. No one can actually, like, agree on a date. 
Um, but it's somewhere in the 2020s to 2040s. Yeah, yeah. No, I thought there was like a 20 couple of... 2220s yeah, to 2240 Which I really liked because so often films in the 90s just went, all right, we're going to 20, 2010. Like, oh, let's just go... Everything's going to be different flying Yeah, that's right. Robots, yeah. Exactly, exactly. I think I think Back to the Future only went to like the, the, the early noughties, didn't they? Yeah, but they didn't change much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Flying cars though, you're right, yeah. And flying cars all throughout this one. Uh, flying cab that Corbin Dallas drives himself. Uh-huh. Uh, next up, uh, alongside old Corbin Dallas, we've got our second lead character, played by a very young, very new to the acting scene, Mila Djordkovic. Uh, yeah, probably that right? Yeah, Djordkovic. Djordkovic, uh, I assume. Djordkovic. That's Mila Djordkovic. Playing bloody Lilu. Lilu. Uh, the perfect human specimen. And in fact, mm. the fifth bloody element. I think perfect being in general. I don't think human was required. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it happens to take human. Happens to take a human form. Um, great. Speaking of buddy, uh, gobbledygook language in this movie made up by the director yeah. Luc Besson, very French man, uh-huh. and uh, helped uh, helped to uh, build by Miller herself. Uh, by the end of the film, now, buddy talking it in full fluency to each other, Mukul. Yeah, which is cool because like uh, it's interesting because I think the phonetics. A weird, like it does seem like gobbledygook on on the camera, to be honest. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, it's kind of cool because now that I think back, it is like, oh yeah, they did use pretty similar words for most things. So yeah. That's pretty cool. Yeah, it was pretty cool, and and uh, they never told Bruce Willis what she was saying as well when they needed him to not understand it as well. So yeah. his confusion was genuine. Mukul, a little bit of <laughs> healthy method acting there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not going as far as a couple of people from recent times. <laughs> did you know he's fifty? Jared Leto is fifty. I only found 52, that out. I think. Yeah, he's pretty old. That's a that doesn't make sense to me. Third uh, character that we have here it's our old bloody uh, friend of the show favourite of the show favourite of Moogles and sometimes favourite of mine and uh, you know what I do genuinely like him in this film despite the fact he doesn't seem to like himself in any interviews you (laughs) see Gary Oldman playing uh, uh, Cornelius Jean-Baptiste Emmanuel Zorro there we go thank (laughs) you very much Moogle I was getting ahead of myself I think I was saying real mouthful it doesn't have good (laughs) mouth feel Uh, here to forth to be uh, uh, called Zorg Zorg for sure Sure, uh, yeah. We're just gonna we're gonna keep that nice and tight, and uh, yeah, he's playing a bloody Alabama uh, corporate bloody yeah, weapons accent. dealer with a bloody plastic dome on his head. Yeah, he's just like an analogy for capitalism gone awry, yeah, I suppose. Pretty yeah. much, yeah, 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 absolutely. And then uh, finally, I think one more worth mentioning, Mookle. Uh, it's old Ian Holmes playing Father Vito Cornelius, uh, the priest who's got all the exposition and all the the history that he that, that, yeah. that the characters will need throughout this film to really understand what this fifth element's all about and uh, what they need to stop because what they need to stop is a giant fucking space fiery planet. Yeah, pretty much. And I guess that's kind of a pretty good segue into the plot. Let's talk about a fiery space planet. Yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Again, on the outset describing this film, <laughs> a lot of question marks coming up for this one. Yeah, and I think that's the thing. And like, when you watch the movie, it's really interesting because you, yep. you enjoy it. It's a really fun ride. It's a really dazzling ride. Yeah. Um, colourful. But it's only in like, thinking about the plot so that I could provide it in this plot summary that I realised how convoluted the plot (laughs) and the movie actually is. And there are some elements where it doesn't make sense. So quick disclaimer, we love this movie, but when you hear this plot, don't blame us for what it actually sounds like. Yeah, I'll just strap myself in, Merkel, to really just change my (laughs) perspective on the writing in this one. No, it's great. Um, So... First off, we meet our main character, Corbin Dallas, Ooh. 10 minutes into the film, because there's a little bit of time for exposition up top, if you don't mind. Hello. All right. 
So first off, we managed to cut to our favourite boy from the era, Luke Perry chilling in a desert <laughs> as he watches an archaeologist. Hmm. Look at some kind of interesting site in Egypt somewhere. Top credited and posted name, Luke yeah. Perry, for all the five minutes he was in this sitting back being a sly, <laughs> sly archaeologist boy. Just drawing, Too yeah. cool for school. Hey, look, I loved it, to be honest. He yeah. did really good in this movie, in a way. Better than yeah. better than uh, Michael J. Fox's cameo in uh, you know what? <laughs> Root, yeah. whatever the fuck. He definitely called. made more of it. <laughs> yeah, he was here for it, at least. You're right. You're absolutely right, Moogle. Yeah. And I guess the question is, what is this archaeological site that we're looking at? Well, it actually is a secret alien weapon against our before-mentioned dark little fiery orb in the Ooh, space. Ooh, not to be named, but it's just pure evil. Just pure evil and somehow can speak through telephone calls. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we'll get into that later, or we won't. Shut That's up, very everyone. casual telephone conversations. <laughs> yeah. Uh, oh, God. Nelson enjoyed that. <laughs> How do I cut this laugh? (laughs) But this weapon, it's made up of very specific items. It's made up of four stones, which are activated by an elemental force of either earth, wind, fire, or water, Nelson. Because science wasn't invented in 1997 when this movie was created. No, no. Or 1913 when they find the stones. Well, I mean, the the movie was written saying this is accurate in 1997. Yeah, Yeah. what is it? Like 26 (laughs) elements on the periodic table or something like that? Bro, there's hundreds. Oh, yeah. Oh, dear. I've de myself. Um, but there's also one very special fifth element, Nelson, Ooh. which is a perfect being at the centre that may represent something else that we'll find out about later on in the film. Ooh. A little bit of a theme. Yes. All right. Now, the aliens, they decide that Earth isn't safe, so they're actually going to come to this archaeological dig and they're going to kill the guy who's doing it because fuck him. Who yeah. cares? He can't know it. Get out of here. And they're going to meet with a priest who is actually part of a secret pact that they have in order to protect the world for some reason. I right? mean, I don't think it's some reason. I'd probably want to protect the world too, Mookle. Yeah, it's but why are they going reason. to priest to help them out? I don't want to talk about it. Yeah, the power no, no, system no, no, was no, all no, wrong no, at the time. No, no. Anywho. Definitely about power. The Earth's not safe enough, so these aliens, who, by the way, look like they're a bunch of hubcaps who have a have a lizard face strapped to them. Yeah, real, real yeah. metal. We'll call them the metal round boys from yeah, now on. Real Goomba vibes. Yeah, uh, the, the lizard Goomba. Yeah, yeah, So they they take away the weapon elements. Okay, they yep. take away the four stones, and then they take away the perfect being. Yep. And they say, "Don't worry. When the evil happens, we'll be back to re-implement the weapon, and we'll save everyone. Don't worry about it." Yeah. Cut to 300 years later. Oh, the evil space orb is in the air because it's time for the evil to come kill everyone. Don't worry. Our big round metal boys, they're here to save the day, Nelson. So they're coming and they're shipping all the stones and that perfect being to save everyone. Nice. Yeah. Right. But then cut to our second alien race that we see in this movie. We've got our bumpy boys who are real mercenaries who are just coming to destroy them. And... And these bumpy boys, they're space mercenaries hired specifically by the ball somehow. We don't mm. need to talk about that. But they've come to it. destroy the ship before the saviors can come back to Earth. And boy, do they destroy it. And they look real happy while they're doing it. Like yeah. the weirdest, almost sexual pleasure as they're shooting yeah, down be, 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 Big old bloody <laughs> lumpy bumpy uggo faces. Yeah. All pointy ears. And unfortunately, it looks like everything's lost for Earth. But luckily, we're in the future now. So we're not in dumb bullshit now. Yeah. Uh-huh. Fuck off, present. <laughs> so they find out that the space station that's nearby, they managed to actually get fragments from the ship. And one of these fragments, luckily, Nelson, Ooh. that's actually this perfect being. And they managed to get a small fragment yeah. of it 
from its glove that it's in. And they managed to clone an entire perfect being that is far better than all humans. Perfect, some might say. Yeah, (laughs) it's it's Buddy Lilu. Yeah, played by Mila Djokovic. Yes, thank you for saying the last name for me, (laughs) Mooka. Yeah, I'm probably saying it wrong too, so that's totally fine. So she manages to come up on this table. Uh, they yeah. put some bandages on her that are like very aesthetic and like unnecessarily sexy, but yeah. necessarily sexy, they might argue. Yeah, he's a French director. Yeah, exactly. He's a romantic guy. That's what he says. Mm. But, Nelson, what happened to the four stones? Oh, yeah. Where did they go, yeah. Mukul? Well, it turned out they went on the ship because they didn't trust the humans, even yeah. though they themselves were personally carrying the stones back to Earth. Don't worry about that. Not red herring. The stones apparently have been... With an opera singer, a famous diva known as Plava Laguna. No. And she is on a giant space cruise ship called yeah. Floston Paradise doing a performance soon. Okay. Yeah. So now we have our perfect being who's fully formed. She starts getting experimented upon by the evil, evil human men. Ooh. And she says, fuck that shit. I'm going to break through this impenetrable force. And yep. then I'm going to jump out some ducks. And all of a sudden, she's careening into the tallest New York City you could ever imagine. Yeah. Flying cars buzzing all around. Sexy McDonald's workers. Yeah. And she manages to crash herself. Straight into our main character, Corbin Dallas's taxi. Yeah. Comfortably in the back seat, Mookal. Yeah, very perfectly. And they have like a weird exchange, which mm. is kind of confusing. And he immediately has a love at first sight thing that no one can explain. Because yeah. she's very much not communicating with him in any way apart from giving him sexy eyes. But for some reason can read please help in English on a poster in the back of his car. That's perfectly fine. She's a perfect human. So she's looking for things. She saw a disgruntled person on the please help sign. Okay. She says, okay, I'm disgruntled. I'll do please help. I'm selling that for the movie. Yeah, you I'm know what? And later on, she's just absorbing television like nobody's business. So you're right. Seconds, she's yeah, just... super duper intelligent. So yeah, look, okay, that's justified. Working out those symbols pretty bloody quick. Mookle. Little bloody question from me, Mookle. Mm-hmm. So uh, they, they clone Lilu out of a hand, which is a metallic yes. hand, right? Yeah. And at the start of the film, we see the, the four elements are surrounded by a sarcophagus. Yes. Which is very specifically, it's it's quite small framed. You know, it looked kind of Lilu framed, if anything, human framed more so than uh, big O, chubbo, metal boy O's. Yeah, certainly. Yeah, yeah, very human. And then the hand that we see them clone her from, mm-hmm. or clone her out of, is holding the handle of the elemental case. Is it? Yes. Oh, I didn't catch that at all. Yeah, yeah. And then later Lilu says, like, oh, I know where the case is. And you see the lumpy boys carrying it and it's missing one of the handles. Yeah. Right? And the sarcophagus is very specifically, like, it's got smaller hands that are locked into place. Like, it's just, it's a sarcophagus. It's it, it, it's definitely not holding any box. Yeah, yeah. So I don't understand what the sarcophagus was for, Mookle. Oh. Yeah, right. Because you're saying that, like... Like, they made it, it out of the DNA it. of the already existing Chubbo Metal Boy's hand. Because it was, like, inside there, I guess. Well, maybe one other possibility is maybe yeah. right before, because Lilu was alive yes. when at the end of this movie. So maybe they actually took her out of the sarcophagus as they were coming to Earth yeah. to do the job. So maybe she was out of the sarcophagus and they gave her the chest. Maybe yeah. that's the only thing I could think of. Okay. But maybe. yeah, maybe it's just like a complete continuity error that makes no sense. That's yeah. very plausible. No, let's move straight past it. Sorry, <laughs> Michael. I just I noticed that and I was like, I didn't... What? That's okay, because even if you look at the hand, it doesn't look exactly like the hands of the Chavo Boys either. It's a completely yeah. different type of hand. Yeah. So I'm just very confused. That's all I got. Well, it's, yeah, because it's, it's quite the, a bit bigger the, than her hand the, as well, though, because her hand comes though, out of it. Well, yeah. the cool thing is we see the gauntlet, right? Yeah. It's definitely 
an accessory. It's yeah. not part of the person because Lilu's hand grows out, out of, of it. it. No, she takes it out of it. Out yeah, of it. look, that's a really good so point. So maybe she was alive and she was wearing armor and yeah. holding the case. Yeah. Maybe that's yeah. what happened. Yeah, nice. <laughs> good <laughs> job, Merkel. All right, we rounded that one. It's a roundabout point to, <laughs> to bring it back to everything's okay. Everything's yeah. okay. Yeah, and nice. now, yes. the world of the fifth element, nothing's okay. No. Because we still got the spiry, fiery space. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. It wants to eat Earth and Earth specifically, I think, Merkel. Yeah, exactly. So, and then we've got Corbin Dallas and we've got Lilu. Yep. They've been united as the core cast member, so that's great. Mm. So surely the movie's going to kick on, except he just drops her off at some priest that she mentions and he completely gets out of there, so it doesn't matter anymore. Well, he tries to stick around, but the priest is like, no, no, fuck off, fuck out. off, fuck off, get out of here. Yeah. But the, oh. he completely disregards it after that's done, to be fair. Yeah, and, 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 and just before he goes, he tries to bloody steal a little non-consensual sleepy kiss yeah, from Yeah, we'll probably talk about that, but like, yeah, it's pretty disgusting. It's like, the 90s. The romance was problematic in uh-huh, this movie all uh-huh. the way through. Yeah. It was but we're really not cool. here for romance, we're here for action, Nelson. Oh, we sure okay. are. And the action's about to unfold, but Ooh. we've got a weird situation. We have our two protagonists completely separated. She just found Corbin Dallas by chance. She just happened to fall into his cab. So lucky. And he just left. So he's probably got nothing left to do with the plot. They probably pulled a Luke Perry on us and Bruce Willis isn't even in this yeah, movie. Yeah, get out of here with his blonde hair. <laughs> probably the last film he has hair in, Mookle. Yeah, I think it was. He has a strong head of hair for this movie compared to almost anything else we've seen. <laughs> Somehow he has more hair than he did in Die Hard, the movie before. <laughs> but we've got this situation, Nelson. Yes. We know we have this fiery space ball that needs to be defeated. Yep. And we know that we have this fifth element who is going to help be the key to a weapon that's going to save everyone from yes, this space indeed. ball. And we know that we have these four stones that are with Plava Laguna yes. in Floston Paradise. So now we've got a movie where obviously our good guys are going to have to get to the stones yeah. and they've got a little bit of opposition along the way. Yes, right? indeed. Oh, and boy, do they, because there are a <laughs> lot of people grabbing these stones now. So yes. Right? So this is where we're going to leave the plot. We're just going to talk about all the crazy people in the situations as to how they find themselves going to this exact same place. Yep, same yep, time. yep, 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 yep. All right. So we have Lilu, who got dropped off at the priest. The priest is our lovely Vito, uh, Vito Cornelius. Cornelius. yeah. And he... He is part of that sacred priest tribe whose entire function is to have that connection to the aliens and to make sure that the Earth is safe from the space ball. So he knows a lot yep. about this. But he's a little bit old. So he's also got his little mate, Dennis, played by an <laughs> actor that I actually really love from Peaky Blinders, who we might oh, name later. But yeah. I've lost my notes and I don't care enough about it right now. No, he's a bit of a nothing role in this one. Just a nervous little white boy. Yeah, but it's really cool because he plays an absolutely vicious gangster in Peaky Blinders. Yeah, so it's nice. good to see what 20 years can do to an actor. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so they are trying to get to these stones and save the world. Yes. However, they think that they are the ones and they're really aggressive in the way they do it. Yeah. Now, our boy Corbin Dallas. Yes. He's out of the plot. Yeah. How does he get dragged back into it? Well, it just so turns out... Conveniently. Yeah. We didn't mention that this whole interaction with this space ball and the aliens was yeah. actually happening with the president of the United Federation yes, or indeed. whatever they call it. In yeah, it's, I think it's the, the Feder- yeah, they call it the United Federation, I believe. Yeah. Perfect. And he knows exactly what the situation is and that they need to get to the stones as well for some reason I never actually learned. I think the priest actually the goes priest, and Yeah, he goes, he goes, he got 20 Perfect. seconds to tell me from the priest and he literally takes 20 seconds to tell him what's going on. Yeah, that yeah. was really good. Yeah. yeah, that was a good scene. You're right, I shouldn't have glossed over it. But I will because they're all good scenes. We're going to gloss over them all. All right. So he happens to know exactly what to do and he needs to save the world as well because yeah. he's goddamn world. Yeah, right? Just so happens that his right-hand man, his military general... 
knows that Corbin Dallas is the best goddamn military man in the entire world Damn because he's right. the best of his unit and he's the only one left alive who's <laughs> the best of the best. More significantly. So Corbin Dallas, he actually gets a rigged lottery where he gets tickets to go to Fluston Paradise mm-hmm. to see the opera as a little bit of a front to get him straight into the perfect position to save the world. Yes. Now, unfortunately for Corbin Dallas, We've got our priest who's trying to save the world. Yeah. And we've got a couple of antagonist figures that we're going to talk about in a moment. Oh, dear. And this lottery, unfortunately for Corbin Dallas, is broadcast all over the universe. So yeah. that every single person knows that he's won this lottery. Very specifically through radio. The, the most yeah. future of all future Ooh. technologies. To be honest, it's still going and still the most powerful thing we have to connect yeah, fast can, distances. Right, so. and it's, we send it out to space, you know, it's yeah. bouncing around out there. So maybe they were not wrong. Mm. Maybe that's the most accurate thing this movie got about the future. <laughs> so this cuts to the kind of the best setup where we've yeah. got Corbin Dallas who knows that he has to do this job, but he does yeah. it begrudgingly because he's past that life, but he's mm. going to come back into it. We've got the priest and we've got Lilu, who, while they are good guys, they're actually really antagonistic to Corbin because the priest thinks it's his duty. So the priest tries to mug Corbin Dallas so that he can manage to get the tickets to Flust in Paradise and yes. save the world. Now, the priest isn't the only one who comes in the scene because there's two other antagonistic Ooh. figures. So, we have the aforementioned Jean-Baptiste Emmanuel Zorg. You went for the whole thing. We could have just said Zorg, <laughs> but yeah. Yeah, Zorg, Zorg, Zorg. <laughs> I learned it and I managed to say it the first time. So Good I job, gotta push it I'm proud of you. So, he actually is in communication with the um, big space fiery ball. Yes. And it turns out that he was the guy who hired the bumpy mercenaries. That's right. For some reason, he's going to get money for, from the space orb, but he's going to destroy the world that he owns a company on. Yeah, Let's don't talk about don't it. Don't worry about it. <laughs> greed yeah. overcomes all rationality, Michael. And speaking of greed overcoming rationality, he manages to bribe the police force to come and try to get yeah. Corbin Dallas. Funnily enough, there's a name mix-up and they get the wrong person. Yep. So Corbin Dallas is saved from this. Yes. So Zorg fucks up in this instance. Yeah. Now, Zorg had a bit of a deal with the mercenary boys where he would give them weapons as long as they got him the The old Ugo Lumpy Bumpy boys. That's it. And these Ugo Lumpy boys, they were there to get the stones for him. And mm. they blew up the spaceship like they were asked. They got the case like they were asked. But unfortunately, running gag in the whole movie... There's never stones in the case that Zorg is given. Red herrings (laughs) all the way through, Mogul. Anytime you find a case, it's got to be empty. Yeah. So he comes into a disagreement with those bumpy boys because they didn't technically do the job even though they think they did do the job. I asked for four (laughs) stones. What am I going to do with an empty case? (laughs) (laughs) Gary Oldman, still doing shit accents. God, he brought enough energy that no one cares. He really did. (laughs) So the Bumpy Boys, they didn't get paid exactly what they wanted, and Zorg actually tricked them into exploding themselves, which is probably some bad blood. So not only do we have Zorg as an antagonist for our protagonist, not only do we have the other protagonist, the priest protagonist (laughs) as as an antagonist for our protagonist, but we also have the Bumpy Boys coming in, and they're like, well, we'll get the stones, Mm. and we won't tell you what we'll do with them, but fuck Zorg. Something (laughs) about bribing, and also we're shapeshifters. Yeah, pretty much. So this all leads to a scene where absolutely everyone is at the airport trying yep. to beat Corbin Dallas, using the tickets to get through to Flaston Paradise. Mm-hmm. And it all is the most hilarious scene that probably we'll talk about. We'll mix them up, yeah. But at the end of it, Corbin and Lilu, they're the ones who actually get onto the cruise ship and they go to Flaston Paradise together. Yeah. 
Because they got there first. Because they got there first, they got there right. <laughs> <laughs> but none of that matters anyway, because they all have spaceships and they all end up in Fluston Paradise anyway. Yeah, why did they even need to do that? Because <laughs> they all just try and rob the ship. Yep, 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 yep. Quick solutions. Actually, a little bit of contingency planning by all of them, actually. I respect that. Yeah, take the easy route if we can. Yeah. And also prevent the people we don't want from going, going. Exactly. I like it. Not too bad. Yeah, the movie holds up once again. And yes. That's pretty much all the plot. The rest of the movie is our established protagonist now racing against our established antagonists who are all antagonizing each other, trying to save the world or destroy it for profits that are hard to understand how they'll ever get. And Chris Tucker is also there, which I forgot to mention, uh, for just the right amount of time for Chris Tucker. Yeah, the perfect amount, playing Rudy Rod. Woo! Yeah, bloody rootin' tootin' radio presenter, eh, Michael? <laughs> Not very rootin' tootin', but he was great. Yeah, uh, phenomenal. Yeah. Chewing the scenery. We might as well, like, move into performances starting with Chris Tucker's performance. Oh, um, yeah. So good. Like, seriously, yeah. like... Uh, when he came onto the scene, he just bursted in. I think this is the perfect film I've seen Chris Tucker utilised in. Fast talking. Yeah. Fast walking. Just a complete tonal change when he comes in. He's got a bloody yeah. microphone on him at all times. He just walks around while he does his bloody uh, radio, radio show. show, right? Still very popular at the time. Yeah. Still popular now, so yeah. we can't knock it. No, right? He's a real... Yeah. I think he's a real like a uh, like a prediction for influences of today's generation, Mookle. Yeah, uh, and like inspired by the most garish characters of then, right? Like, yeah, like, based on Prince, Michael Jackson, Chris Tucker himself probably had Absolutely. a bit to learn to that. Yeah, and yeah. just I think we have to describe like create a visual uh, uh, identity for him for the yeah. audience. Like the first scene, he is in a leopard print onesie. With a shoulder, it's like yeah, like a V cut, big collar. It's yeah, it's very revealing, uh, kind of effeminate. He's got this big blonde kind of like tube of hair coming out the top of his fringe. Yeah, 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 very, 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 very stylized. Um, Luc Besson, uh, obviously, because Chris Tucker, as I've watched some more about him, it seems to be a little homophobic. Uh, uh, Luc Besson Uh, specifically gave him uh, the worst costume uh, that he had. And Chris Tucker was like, hell no, I ain't wearing no dress. Uh, and then, and then he, and then he bought the actual one he wanted him to wear because uh, he was like, yeah, oh yeah, yeah that I'll way. Sneak him. The yeah, old one too. he was a self, a self, self-proclaimed snake maker, <laughs> uh, as he said in the making of. Well, funnily enough, like this role was actually initially for Prince, right? You yeah. probably read that. Yes, I did. But Prince cited as one of the reasons why he didn't take the role is that the costumes were too effeminate for him. Wow, himself. really? So, yeah, maybe Chris Tucker, you could see maybe the time. He rocked it, man. He was oh, looking was so good. good. He was playing a real sex symbol as well. He's got a bloody walking cane with a microphone at the end of yeah. it. Yeah, really, um, like, challenged gender norms at the time, right? Because you immediately get that impression he's set up to be a gay character before yes. he immediately has sex with a female stewardess in yes. the next scene. <laughs> so in a very well cut like three part scene uh, them Mid having humor. sex and her legs like raising out of out as of the, the little cabinet. As the wheels raise as, in the plane. That's right. <laughs> I think there's something else going on at that time as well. Very, very yeah. well shot. Very, very clever. Very good uh, cuts for humour in this whole movie, Absolutely. Right? Um, and some really fast moments with Chris Tucker as well. Um, there's one bit where he's talking. He throws the cane behind his, behind his shoulder. Then... Yep. Quickly looks around and smacks one of one of the girls straight <laughs> into like another room. Yeah, like, and like a really slapstick. Yeah, <laughs> like absolutely unrealistic. Um, but these little tonal changes uh, throughout the film, uh, and yeah, Chris Tucker is just che- chewing the scenery. I- I've never seen him better, Mookle, than yeah. in this film. And this is really like 
each part of this film is good. Yeah. But also the sum of the parts is just phenomenal. Like this movie probably would have been a pretty good movie without Chris Tucker's Ruby Rod. Yeah. But gosh, it kicks it up from a pretty decent action movie yes. to just a phenomenal piece of like almost genuine art, even though it's such a as we could tell, mm. convoluted yeah. and surface level plot. Yeah, <laughs> there's a lot going on, maybe too much going on, and maybe some stuff missed <laughs> in all the telling. But they executed it perfectly because yeah. you don't realize that when you're watching, you're just no. there for the ride. You're there for the, a fun time. Um, Bruce yeah. Bruce Willis. Look, I'm not going to say much. You, he's a, he's a smoldery action hero from from yeah. the 90s. You're getting very much that. Um, you know, there's some warm moments and there's some nice warm mm. moments there. And you know, he's playing the comedy well. Uh, he's 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 yeah. in, in a role, and and the writing for his character is excellent. Really it's good, kind of playing yeah. on that action, on those action tropes a little bit, uh, particularly towards the end with that buddy scene where he just calls him and shoots him, mate. Yeah, a little Indiana Jones action. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. It made it really clear, and like those scenes are really perfect because yeah. it made it really clear through his actions how badass he was and yes. every scene he's in he doesn't say that he's the greatest guy in the world no, he's action. a bit of a schlub yeah he's just a bit of a schlub he's a bit goofy he's just trying to live his life mm. he's got this hilarious relationship with his mum yeah. that's like pretty off oh but- you never call me yeah. <laughs> I should just kill myself uh, yeah playing like the jury stereotype yeah. for some reason yeah. but every scene that he's in where he has to do the task yeah. he does it better than anyone could ever imagine and casually right yeah yeah and the humor apparently like bruce willis and obviously we might address the fact that right now we know about the aphasia and probably explains his career dip over the last 12 years because we don't know how long it affected him yeah. but back then he was explaining his process where he would take roles based on an acting challenge that he hadn't mastered yet okay so he actually took this m- movie because he was like oh i haven't really figured out comedy yet yeah. in my comedic time and i think this movie really makes it clear that it was perfect cuz it was not overstated yeah. he was a straight man but every time he hit a mark it was just the perfect thing for that scene i You're really absolutely loved right. it absolutely right and i think it really prepped him for for more robust and and and, and, mm. and more well done comedy roles like spike in rugrats go wild <laughs> <laughs> or probably less as mean to Bruce Willis. It actually probably did set him up for the whole 10 yards. Yes, definitely. Yeah. Because, gosh, that's like, oh, that's like a psychopathic uh, Corbin Dallas. Nah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it sure is. Yeah. Um, but it's, for the most part, well played. Um, and, and yeah, I think, he, I think he really brought it. I think he brought the energy. And yeah, he does have some quippy, good, good little moments throughout. Yeah. And I'm going to give you a challenge. So yeah. I'm going to be a little bit l- long with the way I describe this challenge to give you some time to prepare for it. <laughs> all right, all right. I think it's safe to say that almost every character was pretty, did a really good job at their job, and some was so phenomenal. Yes. I'm going to give you two options of characters you want to deep dive into, yep. and it's up to you to pick which one. All right, I already know which one I'm going to pick. We'll go. So you're probably going to pick Zorg, so Zorg's one option. Maybe yeah. you won't. Yeah. Or you can pick the priest, Cornelius. Oh, I wanted to do Lelou. Oh, yeah. yeah. So, Lilu, I was going to say afterwards about how well done, but yeah, hey, go for Lilu. I mean, she's the standout for sure. Like, yep. this is this is her first action role. Um, Bruce Willis and Luc Besson have both said it. Like, she was really throwing her everything at it. Bruce Willis was like, hey, calm down, it's just a movie. But she was yeah. like smacking her head on stuff. She was really getting into the action. You can really see the yes. effort and the energy that she put in and the work that she put into this film. Uh, like, just yeah, the work like the with the, the language. The strength, the 
the same time. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the the language is is pretty bloody flawless as well. You believe it to be yep. a language. It's well spoken. It's well cadenced. Um, uh, you know, she does the whole fish out of water as she learns English. There's some mm-hmm. cute little moments there as well. Yeah, you know, even though bloody Corbin Dallas is a gross bloody non-consensual sleep time kisser, she she <laughs> yeah. gets straight fucking pulls a gun to his head. You know, really cool. Um, so she's not you're not fucking around either. Um, just a standout in this film. It, like it's it's no surprise that she had quite a long, albeit diminishing career, uh, many years later. Yeah, not really even like seeming to put as much energy into them in the career later right like always yeah. good in films but i've never seen her like encompass a role as much in no pre- in i later totally films. agree yeah. although she has had some dramatic roles that i'm i'm, I'm too lazy a man to pay yeah you know to. alice <laughs> in all the resident evil films <laughs> yeah one of the most dramatic <laughs> oh perfect so we were gonna do lilu anyway but yeah. i gave you a choice and you didn't take it yeah. so i get to pick now yes please please so cornelius was great i think it's yeah. it's underestimated yeah. how high quality his comedic timing was in Amazing. the film as well Ian Holm phenomenal Absolutely. but I'm going to pick Zorg because we gave him that look as I think oh, nice. I love Gary Oldman yeah yeah I know so I think the first thing is that the character is just nonsensical yep. he is a character that doesn't make sense in any other world but this world oh yeah right? he's got like a weird like half plastic thing plastic like the dome and then half black kind of bob cut an yeah. accent that isn't a good accent but it's 300 years 200 years into our future so who yeah. knows what accents got, become it's up to him he's got fake teeth in as well yes it's for the for the mouth for the yeah, yeah. Mouth he's got a dumb soul patch that's oh, probably the yeah. coolest thing back then so I think gross. I thought it was the coolest thing yeah but just every performance he's in and even using that dumb accent to yeah. to emphasize certain words yeah my favorite scenes are always the ones that include emmanuel zorg to some point yeah. and it's he's kind of a, it. yeah and it's kind of a little sad because one thing that was mentioned is we never got to see corbin dallas and zorg in a room together not oh, once in the film oh you're right and that would have been interesting maybe it would have been yeah. too much maybe luke Besson is a genius and he was right not to do it yeah but gosh i would have liked to have seen what those two guys did together. yeah a little back and forth but that's it maybe that was going to be too much of kind of the stereotypical yeah. action you know the final standoff between the action hero and the and the, and the main bad guy and luke Besson was very much trying to kind of take it away from some of those action tropes he doesn't like the idea of the Arnold Schwarzenegger yeah. uh, friggin uh <laughs> Uh, muscle man he wanted a more traditional human you know yeah and he was very specifically story. taking on this movie from interviews you see um because he knew that americans were very good at producing high quality action films yeah. but he did want to specifically demonstrate a european twist to what yeah. action could be which incorporated a story that did have a finer point towards the end than most action movies yeah, yeah. so that makes sense but I don't know. I think it would have been really good and even in tune with that if mm. it wasn't even when they knew they were antagonists when they had the first meeting. Because Zorg yeah. was Corbin Dallas's boss who fired him. Yeah. Corbin Dallas yeah, was right. in Zorg's office and just walked past his office without actually speaking to him. Yep, yep. Like, there were some instances before they knew that they were antagonists. I would have loved a little yeah. kind of offhand exchange where they both sized kind of each other up without realizing it. Yeah. Okay, I like that. I yeah. like that. Yeah. Well, it's a shame, Mookle, but but uh, performances that stand alone 
uh, even without that mm. interaction, Mukul. Not a bad performance here. Even the one guy who was playing a weird model who had goofy hair and was deaf was great. Like, yeah. It was all good. There was, was nothing good. bad. Here's a bloody fun fact about performances. The, um, the, uh, the, the, there's a guy at the start who tries to rob Corbin Dallas. He, he buzzes yeah. his buzzer <laughs> and then... Yeah, 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 super crazy. He went on... I can't think of the actor's name. Uh, so sorry. But he went on to actually star in Amelie. Oh, yeah. that's cool. He's got that quirky energy yeah. that suit Emily. Oh, let's do Emily. It's a great film. Yeah, we got a body suggested by one of our really listeners. It did really poorly in um, the box office because it was a European film no one understood, so we'd get away with it. Speaking of doing poorly, I think it's time to go to our sponsor, Mukul. Well, actually, I'm glad that you led into it so negatively, actually. Okay. Because I actually have a little something for you okay. from our sponsor. Michael. Uh, where did you get this? Silky Steve. Silky Steve. Yeah, Silky Steve. Brand new business owner Silky Steve gave us a check for $10,000. Yeah, business is doing really well. Apparently he's like sold out most of his stock um, just within the last week. Uh, and this is currently 5% of his monthly earnings. Wow. Well, I... <laughs> Nelson is looking at a check for $10,000 from Silky Sea audience, by I, the way. I've got to say, I think I made that pretty obvious, but uh, I've got to say, Moogle, um, you know, I'm a little bit of bloody egg on my face, all right? I think I came in maybe a little too pessimistic. Yeah, I mean, that's. I think we're square now, right? That's covered it. Uh, I mean, this is great. We can, we can finally invest money into going on holiday and... Maybe just doing this podcast every two weeks or so. Yeah, that sounds like a good treat. And uh, while we're thinking about Brighter Futures audience, I'd love you to think about a brighter time that you could be having if you spent your time at the Silk Emporium, a jazz shop and bar near you. We'll be right back with Real Boys, Real Bad Films, question mark. Hey guys, Silk Eve here. Uh... Things have been a bit blurry in the last uh, couple of weeks, but uh, business is booming and uh, everything seems to be going great. We've got all of these volunteers and everyone's been excited to buy jazz finally. Turns out that I, um, I've done some changes to the place. Uh, the upstairs Emporium Silk Bar is now Silky Sieves uh, Silky Stews, a place where you can get one of our famous slippery silk eel stews so come on down to the silk emporium a jazz shop and a restaurant near you uh things certainly seem to be going better mogul yeah business is booming hey? yeah. you've got the proof right there everything seems to just really leveled out he's fixed that phone issue by the sounds of it yeah, yeah, well, I mean, yeah, he bought a new phone, I think. I'm not surprised um, with that kind money, of money, yeah, yeah that, that he's given our way, Mookal. Yeah, and that's just 5% of his monthly earnings. I mean, I feel like we've backed a winner this time. Okay, and he's breaking into the restaurant tour business now? Yeah, interesting choice, but I mean, yeah, I guess he. I guess I just have to trust his business judgment at this point with what we're seeing now. Yeah, I don't know that I trust anyone's business judgment when it comes to liquid food, Mookal, but... <laughs> 
Look, oh, yeah. you've said the proof is in the pudding. We've got money. I'm not going to complain. I trust you. You're uh-huh. managing this well, clearly. Thank you. Um, so I'm going to I'm going to put my concerns to the side um, and, and 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 enjoy this. Yeah, I think I think Local. we should. I think we got a break finally. Yeah, uh, real boy is real cashed up, huh? right? Hey, hey, I love it. And uh, look, Nelson, I I I think it's time. Um, in that sense of positivity, no. you've been super generous to me to let me get through that. Just mishmangle of a plot without cutting the death count. But <laughs> yeah, I didn't want to mess up your yeah. flow. But during that plot, and especially after the summary I gave, just bodies were hitting the floor. Mm. So I think we're we're prime for everybody's favorite, if you know what I mean. Oh, I know what you mean, because what you mean is it's time for death count. Death count. Ooh, where are my stones? They're not in my box. It's time for death count. My box. Okay, yeah. Yeah, Segment where we count how many people, things, and animals died in the films we're watching. And aliens in this instance. (laughs) Because fuck me, Mookle. What a death count. 90 total deaths in this one Mookle uh, gonna ring uh, a couple of them off uh, and you might uh, cut yeah, me off me and, uh, when you're like no I'm not doing this many sound effects so feel free to phone in as many or as few of these as you like Mookle and, uh, I will I will I mean how many lines have we got do that thing do that thing that you did that you said you were gonna do where you just put them all at, like like at the end in one big sound I may do that cause right at the start of the film we got one bloody curious cat of a professor gets a little bit too close to the truth gets a literal bloody death stare from one of the chabo Metal Boys, Mookle. Mm-hmm. He's dead. Oh, no. Yeah. They've got one chonky metallic boy. He gets bloody crushed in a door uh, with uh, just enough time yeah. to waddle out and give a bloody key, a MacGuffin key out. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, we assume he's dead. Don't see it, but probably, probably dead. after 300 years. Yeah, later on we've got 12 Federation officers. They bloody get a little bit too close for comfort with the old fucking smoky, fiery ball of a uh-huh. thing. and They get swallowed up by a fire skull because apparently it's yeah. got a fire skull, Mookle. God, this is a podcast yum, on yum. itself. Yum, yeah. Uh, the remaining population of the fucking agents, uh, I think we see three on screen. Boom, kablamo by the fucking bumpy boys. Yep. See you later. Uh, we got ten uh, fucking uggo boys exploded because they didn't bloody ask a question about a red button on the bottom of their guns. Poor uggo bumpy boys. Yeah, splotty, splotty, splotty. I counted 11, but I think the like the main one survives because you see him he later definitely and does, he's just yeah. got like a damaged ear despite the fact he was the one holding the gun that exploded. Was he the dumb one? He was like the leader. Yeah. I just assumed it was him. I don't think he was the one with the yeah, gun that exploded. Yeah. It was like a goofy guy who was like, Oh, what is this button? <laughs> yeah. You know, too professional. They ask about the red button. First thing they say, that guy. <laughs> hey, next up. Three coppers killed in a bloody Corbin Dallas mix-up and the Ugo boys come to snatch the wrong Corbin Dallas off the cops. Maybe. Yeah, take that Zog, but no one. Yes. Uh, bloody two Federation officers. And this is this is one that I, I thought was quite funny. Okay. Um, there's, a, there's a scene where 
uh, Corbin Dallas, uh, the uh, military officer, and two of his goons come along to yeah. pitch him the mission. And then Lelou shows up with a priest, and he's like, "I got to hide you guys because my <laughs> wife's here because he doesn't want them to see Lelou." She hates me because she knows the military. She hates the military because she knows they ruined my last relationship. Yeah, yeah, and he shoves them in a fridge, right? Yeah, uh, and he opens it later and takes the uh, bloody tickets. Yeah, for the- freezer even. Yeah, Less than fr- fr- that's right. And you see, you see uh, the the major frozen in yeah. place. Now we see him again later on in the film. Yeah. Yeah. We never see the other two. They're you dead. would assume, I think. Nah, this, this film is filled with back. little visual gags like this, Moogle. I really do think this was an intentional piece. I don't think they're dead. They're, but okay. They're never seen in the film again. Well, I will say they're lower-ranking officers. It was up to the brass to have conversations. Four more them. coppers killed <laughs> in a Corbin Dallas mix-up. 18 weird flesh bloody organ balls that are burned off the back of a fucking yeah, spaceship. Yeah, they Which were apparently just some toys from the 90s, Moogle. Oh, cool. Yeah, bloody Jorg's best boy. He doesn't bloody get on the bloody cruise Zorg, ship Zorg. in time. I was like, who's Zorg? Yeah, I meant Zorg. Uh, <laughs> he gets exploded in the biggest, or one of the biggest explosions or practical explosions for the time, Mookal. Mm. It was let off a little bit too early and uh, if you if you put it in slow motion, you can see a couple of the extras getting engulfed in flames. Oh God, are they okay? Yeah, yeah, no, everyone was fine, okay. fortunately. Uh, next we got some bloody ship attendants. Uh, bloody attended to by bullets by the Ago boys. <laughs> uh, then, we got, <laughs> then we got a bloody <laughs> blue opera alien. Opened up like the bloody container she is to bloody get out by, by a bullet to yeah. get out some bloody elemental stones. Spoiler alert for this 15 year old Hiding in her tummer tummer term. <laughs> Take them out of my singy tum. Uh, <laughs> That's probably better than the line she actually did give which was like the stones are in me which yeah. apparently was a riddle but also very clear. And then Cobb like, they're inside of Think of that hand into this old body hole, eh? He sure did. He sure well, he did bloody it. did. Uh, next, we got some fucking like five more Ugo boys. One yep. shot because Rudy got a fright and just point blank <laughs> blows his brains out. By the way, Ugo boys and Bumpy boys are completely connected, everybody. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I've been reading my notes, which I uh, totally didn't change. Chill. So sorry, Bumpy Boys. Uh, and then uh, the four of them are killed by one of them that gets bloody. They get shot as he gets shot up into the ceiling. Yeah. Oh, in, like the best action scene I've seen in a long time. Oh, yeah. Oh, my great, God. Great. And great explosion in that one, Ooh. too. Whole set caught fire. And they had a Good slapstick all the yeah. way through. Not too heavy. Perfect Chris Tucker screaming. Yeah. Oh, my God. He oh. just nailed it. What a nailed, recognizable scream. You should put Such him in another look best on film. Right? I'm like, so upset that he never did anything half as good and half as effectively utilising as this. Yeah, he just phoned it in Ooh, from here on out. It. Yeah, that's it. Uh, 13 more bloody Argo boys. Bang, 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 bang. Shot by Corbin. Three Counted more fucking... by Corbin for you, luckily. Well, not not quite, because uh, we got three more ship attendants that are shot at random, and then, yeah, at this point, the fucking death count got so ridiculous, Michael. Then Corbin starts counting them. <laughs> uh, calls bloody seven on the left, five on the right, reduces them to four and two, uh, respectively, in an mm-hmm. instant... Mookal Very bang, good bang, shot bang, 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 bang. And then one body Solid shot To the old Bumpy boy leader's head uh, all, all the other That's ones how he up. negotiates I believe yes, <laughs> Where do you learn that? Indeed <laughs> Just a couple left Mookal Next up we got Zorg Who disarms one bomb uh, Too few Gets a body taste Of his own Ooh. medicine Gets a body Exploded Along with anyone Remaining He's on the cruise ship He's good about it though yeah, what is it? What does he say? He's, I can't remember even. <laughs> no, I don't think. I think he's just like, oh dear. 
boom, dead. And finally, one big old fiery boy. Space fiery planet boy. Evaporated by uh, fucking the oldest trope of all. A bloody blue space beam when Lulu... Yeah, take that, Marvel. When Lulu uh, discovers the, the fifth element was love all along. Yeah, boy. Inappropriate love, yes. if you don't mind me saying so, man. Itself, Nelson. Yeah, confusing and <laughs> And also, like, love. the priest who's, like, just against Corbin Dallas the whole time is like, she needs you, my boy. It's like, what did you see? Yeah. What did you see yeah. in this film that made you think <laughs> that this was an appropriate relationship? Just don't even worry. He's about like it. 36 and she's like 20 at best. Well, she's basically a newborn baby, right? Yeah. For all, or for all actually, Eon's old. So now that I think about it, who knows? Yeah, who fucking knows? <laughs> she got her memory really cool. back. Like, they're actively said she got her memory back okay so maybe yeah All right. I mean they did say that they bring her back every 5,000 years I'm back so. on board no we're back Best on baby it was and that bloody wraps up death count bumbly yeah. mess by me <laughs> no i mean stumbly bumbly mess this whole movie is but like a beautiful mess and beautiful luckily mess. you wrapped up the entire plot for the audience so essentially corbin dallas he does get the stones from the diva unfortunately yeah. she dies in the process yeah. a lot of explosions along the way and yes. just at the nick of time and some suspense they managed to activate all four elemental stones mm-hmm. and the final element of love manages to save the day guys sure does um one little continuity error uh they've got to put the elements on each of the stones you mentioned earlier Merkel. yes chris tucker gets the fire stone he's like i, I don't have no fire i don't smoke bullshit we see him smoking like <laughs> 20 minutes 30 minutes earlier in the film You're right that's his first scene he smokes yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. straight up straight that's up. actually really good i miss that that's yeah. a good tidbit anyway that's it yeah, one mm. of one of one of very few things wrong with the writing of this mm. film, which I think that's fascinating, right? Because I think we talked about it and we loved this film coming in, and we both sat Absolutely. down together and we were like, "Oh my god, really good film, glad this yeah. comes up." But as we started breaking down the plot together, we found that the writing itself has a lot of problems. Yeah, but I think when you watch the film, you don't actually care about the plot that much. It's the way the world has been yeah. crafted and what's been built is just. So gorgeous, so epic, and so beautifully crafted in a way yeah. that feels real. It does. It's got a history, right? Yeah. And it's and it's 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 kind of um the look they were going for is kind of like uh r- realistic versus versus comic book, and it kind of meets yeah. you know gritty versus comic book, and it kind of meets that really well. It's kind of got like a lot of grayed tones, but they're wearing yep. these fluoro tops that kind of shine through. Like it's got a really yeah. interesting dichotomy. They wanted to show a, a fun, crazy future, Mukul. Um, but you're right, it convoluted definitely. But there's yep. so much around this. Luc Besson started writing this. 
when he was 16 years old. Yeah, tiny baby um, boy. Tiny, tiny baby boy. Um, he writes a taxi driver into every one of his films because his father was a cab driver to support his <laughs> dreams, beautiful, which is actually really, really nice. Yeah. So he was his hero. Does he always make the, the taxi driver the hero? No, I think, it's just, I think there's always just like a taxi okay. driver in every one of his films. Uh, Mookle. But yeah, he'd been working on this for a really long time. As I'd mentioned, conceived as a trilogy originally as a film. It was like a... More than 20 years. Yeah, it was, it was a book before that called, I can't even remember what it was called. Um, yeah. It was like a 400, 400 page screenplay when he condensed it down to one film. So yep. clearly there was a lot of just dwindling down what was essentially like a lifetime of a, a built universe into one consistent narrative, Moogle, which is a challenge, you know, to put that much content in a short film, but still get across what you want to get across. And yeah. I think that comes down to a lot of, a lot of different things. And I think also it's like, you can tell by how much is in this movie that he did condense down so much. Yeah. And there's almost too much in this film, but just the fact that he managed to craft it in a way that holds up to be a ride that you can go along with and kind of suspend your disbelief is yeah. such a feat. Because so many of these films that have such a rich background of writing, mm-hmm. they just become messes. Yeah. This was not a mess. Like, Me- it, was, it was messy, but it yeah. just came together in the most beautiful way. And I think it's like a lot of people are always talking about, have you seen the controversy in your research about the fact that everyone, similar to the Matrix, where yeah. everyone's like, oh no, the entirety of the Fifth Element world is just ripped off from this French comic book series. Yeah, yeah. So the Valerian? Yeah. So like Valerian's one of the ones they wrote, like the, yep. the comic book authors. But it's also like, there was a couple of other comics, which I've kind of lost in my notes and I don't mind, but there's French comic book writers who created a very similar world the new york was entirely based off a lot of what they built yeah and the main thing is that it's such a funny controversy because there was actually a lawsuit between them and him as well really but the most funny thing is and this got like a little bit of press but the most funny thing is he loved their work so much that not only did he base his world on their comic books but he actually got them on as creative directors to help oh, him. Wow. And it turned out that the lawsuit, it wasn't them. It right. was their publishing company just auto-fired a lawsuit because they were just trying to make claims. Yeah. But it turned out they're like, no, of course, we, we were creative directors of the film. And yeah. the, the lawsuit was dropped immediately because <laughs> there's no basis that he ripped it off because he incorporated their vision into his own. Do you reckon that was just like publicity driving though? Well post. Well post Fifth yeah, Element. Like, okay. there's no publicity okay. to gain at yep, this point. Yep, like, yep, this yep. is just, like, one of those hilarious things where publishing studios, their entire, they've got an entire suite of lawyers just to do yep. this, to, to do aggressive copyright claims for the money, right? Yeah, yeah. So, it's just, like, this funny thing. And, oh, I'm so glad that he did, quote-unquote, steal his ideas, because it's a cool future and i think this is different now like this is a pre-millennium future a pre-internet future yep and the thing i love about those visions is they're always so analog yes so there was no screens that didn't look like they were from 1970s star trek in any spaceship but it made them think about the practical way people would live and the fine touches to the analog aspects of the future that people would deal with like Mm. some of my favorite things is that He's trying to quit cigarettes, and obviously that's a big factor. So he only gets allocated five cigarettes with huge filters. Yes, in time correct. A day. Yeah, I was actually watching that to see if, when through each scene, if the sh- if if it got shorter, the cigarette piece got shorter. Did it? No, no. Ah, no, uh, that would have been cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah that would have been cool. And like he's got like the roving like Chinese <laughs> shop that comes through his window, which yeah. wouldn't make any money because how could a Chinese shop succeed? 
by focusing on one customer for a 20 to 30 minute period yeah. like there's no way yeah, it's like a work, full dining experience you know i look I, i'd love this instead of uber eats right just like one person oh, yeah. comes yeah exactly waits on you feeds you uh, you get a nice conversation and then they go off on their way and you're still in your home wonderful not profitable but i no. also love it but no. yeah i just love the world and there's like all these small touches throughout the world that we could again do a whole another podcast. Yeah, on. yeah. The, the the city, New York. I mean, it's 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 New yep. York vertical, right? You've got these huge, and then uh, times a hundred, huge, tall, towering yeah. buildings. There's like elevators going down the side of the buildings, but they're trains. Yes. Like it's it's kind of got this good mix. Um, there's uh, when he's escaping from the cops, Corbin Dallas is escaping from the cops with Lilu in the back of his car. He's yeah. like, I've got to go hide in the fog, which is like the lower levels where nobody goes anymore because it's all above ground. Yeah, it's completely like, covered by pollution. Yeah, which is like a cool like like really gentle subtle critique on environmental impacts of like what humans are doing yep like a kind of dystopian future that's like kind of makes you pause for a bit but then they immediately go to an exciting part of the film without harping on it yeah really cool and i love how it's like it's also a future before people really realize that there's just no way a hover car ever works yeah because because you don't see a hover car in a futuristic city anymore because everyone's like, there's nothing for them to hover on. That's not how hovering works. And it just makes it everything more complex. I mean, think oh. about the complexities of traffic and then add a whole other dimension to that. Well, this was complex traffic, right? Because there was layers and layers yep. of traffic all the way down. Beautiful. Just gorgeous. Yeah. And we just literally talked about one of the opening scenes. But every aspect about this we enjoyed. Yep. That's how dense this movie is. Yep. And Nelson... Why we probably have to move on to another topic before yes. we extend this podcast. Yes, and we cut out pitch that stitch for a reason. We're looking at just filling that in with an extra fifteen minutes of talk today, Vukal. We didn't mean to, audience, but that may happen. We just really oh. like this film. Actually, one final thing that we have to say about that, yeah. actually, the world building. They actually hired Jean-Paul Gaultier, one of the most yep. famous European fashion designers, to design yep. every costume in this film. Yes. And it creates a sense of he like... also like looked over all of them as well, personally. And physically tweaked them during yeah. shooting. Like apparently he did painstaking work, right? Which mm. is phenomenal. And I think this is kind of cool because it shows the whole Luc Besson European flair to this. This yeah. is what we can do. And also it makes the costumes so perfect because it's couture, right? Like it's yeah. like high fashion that would never work. But in the future, it makes so much sense. And like even the little touches where like, Ruby Rod is a great example of the yeah. kind of stuff he was wearing. And even Bruce Willis, the every man who was just wearing a tank top and a jumper, his tank top was so cool by a little touch that there were straps at the back that completely yeah. changed exactly what the design was. Yeah, was that's a really good point. So good. Yeah, subtle changes that make all that difference. Yeah, and I think it's this world building, it's that yeah. attention to detail and the the good writing of like the plot and the comedy from a beat by beat perspective as opposed to like a holistic reflective perspective yep. just one of the most exciting one of the most epic movies that i think i've ever seen holistically yeah and you just want to see more of it right merkel um this yes. is a, this is a classic Glad film we didn't. that yeah leaves you wanting more which is the but perfect god, thing to more. do but god do you want more god do you want to see this this universe expanded and look look Luc Besson has mentioned that he would be interested in coming Back to this franchise at few really? few different points, yeah. But um, that's cool because there's been like other points where he's like, "I'm never yeah. doing a sequel to it." So yeah, I think yeah. it's interesting. And again, maybe that's like some influence from a French director as opposed to an American director, because you know we'd be on the Twelfth Element by now if this oh, was 100%. made by an American director. Yeah, yeah. What is the Twelfth <laughs> Element? Do you think, Mukul? <laughs> uh 
It might be something like um, titanium or something. Like I don't a know. Good fried egg on a Sunday morning. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, like in this universe. Yeah, you're yeah, right. yeah. The feeling when you sip your first coffee. Yeah. But yeah, Luc Besson, uh, a real friggin' creative Mookle. Um I watched people say that of him. I watched a lot of a lot of, and you see it throughout this film as we've talked about. But I, I watched a lot of making ofs and. And everyone just said yep. like he could he could recall the script by memory in the moment. He was considering it's been with him for twenty plus years. Well, exactly. Yeah. The picture was very clear, the creative direction was very clear, and and even like the VFX artists as they were showing him like dummy models and things, they were worried about him being like, Well, this is shit, what is this? This is not a car, it's a blob. But they were good like French he could, accent, not as good as the Italian. Yeah, thank you. Uh he, he, they were like he could immediately see the vision and was immediately in there being like, Okay, so this is the way this needs to move. Like yeah. never never judgmental, always moving forward in the creative process, which is so important in mm. in executing something like this and I think why it's executed so brilliantly because you have one creative director who has inspired and brought everyone else into the fold of this universe so everyone is here and the attention to detail is so significant because it's not just you know the costume designers slipping in a reference every single person here is working in something and that's so good as well because like considering how much he's dealt with this material and how much it must mean to him yeah it's so cool that he actually managed to give up some of that vision to allow others to contribute to it. Because oh, yeah. there's so many directors that would be way too egomaniacal for that. Yeah, if I can, don't take my metal spider. I'm putting that in a different field. <laughs> yeah, take exactly. that metal spider well, out of that producer, film. That's so. for Superman. Yeah. <laughs> Producers are a whole different it's breed. True, it's true, it's true. <laughs> and I guess one of the things that I think probably anyone who hasn't even seen this movie, and if you yeah. haven't, just stop and watch it. Yeah. But... Anyone who hasn't seen this movie, there's one scene that stands out that everyone knows when you say the fifth element, and that's the diva opera scene with yes. the song, right? Yes. So, if you haven't seen it, this is a scene where it's the start of the third act, mm. and it starts with this music performance by this diva who had only been kind of mentioned by name and been seen mysterious at the time. Yes. And then, all of a sudden, the full reveal... It's a giant, like, eight-foot-tall blue tentacle. Yeah. Lady, right? And she just performs this opera piece. Yep. Um, and it's this interesting mix that, again, shows the attention to detail in the world building, right? Yep. Because I looked up this song because I was just watching this outside of this podcast. Yeah. And I was like, oh, that song's really interesting. I want the story behind it is. Huh. It actually starts off with, like, this classic opera piece for the yep. first half of the song. And then all of a sudden, it turns into this, like... To be honest, way too 90s, but kind of interesting technical dance opera song that yes. is along the same beat. Yeah, slapping. Right? Yeah, right? All of a sudden, doosh, 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 doosh. Yeah. That beat coming in. <laughs> yeah. And it kind of like leaves you like this really interesting impression because the opera was beautiful. It's about this. Yeah. It's from this Italian opera I can't remember, but the whole idea is it's someone's descent into madness and you yeah. can kind of feel how that's drawing in all of the characters in the plot. And then all of a sudden, this kind of kooky action plot kicks in as the action kicks up as well. That's it's right. Like really well timed with the transition between kicking scenes. Kicking the crap out of the bumpy yeah. boys. And it's kind of cool. So the first the first part of this was all sung by an opera singer, Inver Muller. Yes. And she was singing the initial opera. The second half, though, this was actually written by one of the music composers, Eric Sierra. Yes. And the thing that was so fascinating is he literally, in the second half, altered the pitch of the voice to make it an impossible to sing voice Yes. to highlight why this 
Diva would be so sought after because she as an alien is the only person who can reach a vocal range that no human could reach. She goes yeah. octaves higher than a human can reach before going octaves lower than most humans could reach yeah. as well. Yeah. And to this day, no one's actually been able to sing it. I've looked at a couple of YouTube performances and a couple of other people who've tried it. Yeah. So many people have like taken that challenge and it's kind of awesome to see. They yeah. get super close, but they always run a couple of notes or change a couple of pieces. Yeah, no one to. sung that song yeah. to this day, which yeah. is such a cool thing because like it fits the scene so well. And it's just another piece of information about like how much detail goes into like the world building. No, it's, 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 it's a great scene and that beat fucking slaps, you know? I think, I think we yeah. see more commonly some uh, like classical music turn into fucking heavy drop into club, yeah, club yeah, yeah, beats, yeah. but this was not this common like of the time. Yeah. techno trance. <laughs> yeah, and wasn't a, common, wasn't a common thing back then. Yeah. So it was quite, you know, quite different to see that kind of transition into something a little bit more poppy as well from opera. Yeah, and I think it really maintained the tone in a way that I think a lot of lesser composers would have just completely butchered something like that. Yeah, yeah, no, 100% Moogle. Also, really fucking great action scene. That one's a banger. Yes, Leela was just bloody zip-zopping, swinging on things, crapping the crap out of the bumpy boys, beating the crap <laughs> out of them even. Yeah, yeah, it's like the first time you even see her do any hint of action and she just tears everything apart Oof. and then that quickly turns into the, the culmination of the opera yeah. is by gunfire from the Bumpy Boys who then kill the opera singer and then that yes. gets off a whole different, even huger action scene which is phenomenal and hilarious and brings out amazing performances from all the characters, yep. including one hilarious little B character who's a deaf actor who makes yeah. the dumbest mistake. Yeah. <laughs> so good. Oh, one of my favorite scenes as a kid. Corbin Dallas is trying to get him to throw him a gun. The he's guy just he not just throws it. two billion balls. Yeah. He's like, yeah, I did it. Big thumbs up. <laughs> uh, is it like Larry or something his name is? I don't think so. Oh, yeah. uh, it's something It's something pretty like... So, uh, somebody, I think Baby Ray is his name. <laughs> yeah. Throw him a gun. <laughs> Bloody Ray just doesn't, doesn't get it. Not <laughs> throws some billiard balls. He's like, okay, I did good. Here's a thumbs up. Thanks, Ray. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. See, look at that. Just, ah, oh, what a film. Little I'm moments. surprised how much I enjoyed it. Yeah. yeah. Again, I, I know I loved it as a kid, but I'm surprised I loved it as an adult, but pleasantly surprised. So pleasantly surprised, Moogle. Uh, and I think that body wraps up the film. Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. yeah. Film's wrapped. Covered enough. Uh, real bad <laughs> film or real bad film? Question mark. Merkel. Um. So I think we we were looking mostly for a bad film. Yes. Um, of, of the trouble of the wild wild west, we were like, definitely this is one that's going to break our little baby boy hearts. Mm. But no, we're back to a real good film, guys. We've broken. We've broken it once again. It's definitely a real good film. It's not even a real bad film, question mark. Yeah. Because it's not a bad film that is worth a watch. It's, look, it's a great film. Okay. Um, there's problems. Yeah. But every film has its problems. And this one's so enjoyable. To yes. From start to finish. See, I'm going to take a little bit of a perspective. I'm going to be a little bit more cautious of when I break my formula. Huh? Reference back to Michael. I think it was from Sonic. Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, uh, by my standards, uh, real bad film, question mark. Okay. Well, for a couple of reasons, right? Sure. Obviously, a very watchable film. And, and for the most part, it's a, it's a very fun and a very good film. Moogle. But, uh, look, this sets some tropes. 
this sets the set next or use set set makes good yeah set if, makes if it set... sets tropes that means it was so good it was emulated if it uses tropes it's bad yeah that's what I'm saying real bad film question mark because it set it set the scene no. for, for breaking the trope which then became a trope in of in and of itself okay moo call and and like you said there's some convolution here there's some continuity yeah, yeah. here there is breaks throughout this but fundamentally this is a good film it is an enjoyable film and I'm going to put it under real bad film question mark right. uh, because of those vague reasons Mukon I see a keep... man before me who's too afraid to say the truth alright it's a good <laughs> film I love it okay <laughs> one of my favourite films of all time alright there we go audience we fucked up again Fuck. we got a good film on our hands Fuck. <laughs> thank you so much for listening to this our thank you. 21st episode of Real Boys Real Bad Films now Sansa Buddy pitched that stitch Fuck off, cunt! You're done. Uh, yeah, we're done that's with it. you. Yeah, hey, yeah. If you want it back on, in say words. There but you, you go. Won't. That's yes, why it's gone. You will indeed. And our first ever C bomb dropped on this podcast. Uh, Mooko, <laughs> did you? Did I? You know, I dropped it. I dropped All it just right. then. Hot and heavy, and we're, it's done now. It's out there. All right, sounds good to me. Yep, 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 yep. It's <laughs> yeah. done. Um, everyone, um, we're going to be uh, changing up our schedule a little bit, as you, you may, uh, notice this may one have came noticed out a little uh, bit later. Uh, um, but we aren't going to be going to fortnightly moving forward a bit of a change and uh, obviously that may be upsetting for some of you our audience members who are weekly listeners and we know that you might yeah. be out there uh, shout out to our buddy Thailand listeners shout out to our buddy UK and US listeners and shout out to our buddy Portuguese single listener as well that's a new one yeah yeah oh, all, uh, Portugal Sabal something like that uh, and also definitely a huge thanks to the majority of our audience which is all of our Australian yes of course and of course and we're going to continue to bring you crispy nuggets of knowledge and bloody commentary reviews and all the stuff you love Maybe to hear. Laugh along the two way. bloody thirty-year-old <laughs> white men talk about movies. Nothing political. <laughs> okay, Nothing political. wrap it up. I can see where this is going. <laughs> but we are. We're going to be spending some more time working on this, the Real Boys brand, working on our future, working on our social media, yes. really working on our next stages of growth, and hopefully bringing you more content. We've talked about some things in the pipeline. This is really going to give us yep. some opportunity to sit down and really, really start to work on some other stuff for you guys, some other content. Yeah, because again, I mean, we're doing it episode after episode, but yep. um, full disclosure, uh, we just couldn't get enough done with a weekly um, schedule. We're to real be tired. Frank. Yeah, and we barely got the edits out. You probably yep. noticed that every episode still has some audio issues, even yes. when we're doing pretty good at it Maybe now. a little echo, maybe a little hard cut. Yeah. But um, it just kind of wasn't possible for us to live a full life with full-time jobs nah. and do a weekly episode and imagine this podcast going anywhere but where it was staying. It was a good period there where I just didn't sleep for, like, weeks at a time, Merkel. But there was a period where I put not much effort into editing a podcast. Two different approaches. It's, it's all <laughs> different, and we both suffered in different ways, <laughs> Merkel. But, yes, we want to bring the best to you guys. My we want to spend was shame. The, the, we want to spend... <laughs> <laughs> We want to spend the time and the effort to really give you a beautiful finished product that is, you know, fun to listen to and fun mm -hmm. to come back Just to. Just like the Crunchy Stew episode coming out yeah. for you guys previously. Yeah. Everyone! Watch out for Flamin' Spaceballs! <laughs> we'll see you next we'll week. We'll see you next week. 100%. Considerations that you don't necessarily consider, you don't need to yeah. consider, right? It's an alien. Make it a little alien attic. Yeah. Is that an, an alien expression? What? I don't think I can ever say that again. As it came out of my mouth, it just rolled and an left. Alien attic, you said. Uh, alien in the attic. It was like alien in the attic. Anyway, it doesn't matter. <laughs> let's, 